0: Welcome back to "There's Always Another Podcast," a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and I am joined by
1: Expired Warranty Beth,
2: Potato Sam, and I'm Caleb. Welcome back, everyone. Ah, a simple start. Got (laughs) to lay foundational.
0: Normal, normal introduction. Yeah. Also, I'm refusing to explain the joke about Beth's warranty having been expired. It's a Uh, good joke. If you know the joke, it's a good joke. uh, Today in front of us, we have uh, a tome.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) There's a big boy. It's very
1: chunky. Next time Caleb does the bit of grabbing the previous book and (laughs) slamming it onto his desk, it's going to be an earthquake.
0: We have uh, have a lot of of book in this book ahead of us uh, because (laughs) today we are preparing to start The Way of Kings. Uh, I know Beth and I have been very excited about this one. Uh, and I hope that it lives up to the the expectations, because uh, we are starting the first book in the Stormlight Archives.
2: Yeah. I've heard good things.
3: Yeah, this is, this is the one that I think I've heard the most about, which is in terms of people liking it. In terms of what I know about it, I know very little, which is also very exciting. Like, I was... <laughs> I, I believe... I believe i know the name of one particular character in this although maybe he's from a different cosmere thing but i think he's in this and i was like "Ooh, i'm excited to get to know that character and then i looked at the thousand page book in front of me and i was like oh yeah there's gonna be more characters than him
2: like oh, I, yeah. I should be excited <laughs> about them too no it's just one character every night <laughs>
0: It's a, it's a very experimental piece of literature.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, like a, a day-by-day, minute-by-minute recounting.
0: But yeah, we are going to be doing our, uh, our usual episode zero discussion. We've all got the, the book in front of us. Uh, this is the, uh, the trade paperback edition. Uh, it resembles the, the hardcover, except it is a paperback. Uh, there's a big logo proclaiming a bonus full-page illustration unique to this edition, so you uh, you better look out for that one. Exciting. Uh, spoiler alert: we've already seen it. It's the uh, the sketch before we get to page one.
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's badge worthy. <laughs> like it's a nice I little was, doodle, like, but it's
3: really cool and interesting. I am I honestly kind of surprised to hear that that's
2: the one that's unique. Yeah, that's like that's not a, an illustration is a strong word for that. That's... <laughs>
3: Because also, like, little badges like that, I feel like they're not just meant to bring in new readers. It's specifically like, don't you want this specific edition of a book you might already right. have? Right. It's like, I, this, I'm sure this book is going to be excellent. I don't know if I would buy a second copy of it just to get
0: that illustration. Right. Like, so, it, it is somewhat of a running joke at this point that I own... Most of the Cosmere in just about every form factor you can get it. Uh, some of which are for this podcast. I want to make sure that we all have the same edition. I, I do not think I would buy this edition for that, uh, <laughs> that one illustration. But that is what we all have. Uh, and we're going to be going over uh, a few things before the story itself starts. If you have not uh, joined us for one of these episode zeros before. Uh, we're going to be looking at things like the cover and the text on the back, uh, and then some of the, uh, the pre-book, like the, the end paper illustrations. Uh, we got a couple of maps here. That, we got uh, some maps. Always, always very excited about. <laughs> and then we'll be ending right before the prelude, and then starting the, the book itself in future episodes.
1: Oh, also, if you've never joined us for one of these episode zeros before... Hi, here's the premise of the show. Right. (laughs) Um, Oh, hey. Justin and myself have read the whole Cosmere. Uh, Caleb and Sam are newcomers who we dragged into it, kicking and screaming. Uh, We have read (laughs) all of the Mistborn trilogy and Elantris and the Emperor's Soul so far. So there will be full spoilers for all of those as we try to connect the two dots between these Cosmere events.
0: Yes. There we go. What a a good idea, actually explaining the show, if you are... (laughs) joining us for uh, for stormlight and you may be i know it, it's an interesting question of like what uh what order do you actually read all these books in which is a thing yeah. that we've had to try to figure out for this this podcast uh and i think a lot of people I, I i've heard the opinion fairly commonly that if you are a a fan of the fantasy genre and you know you're willing to accept some buy-in starting with stormlight isn't the worst. It's it's a very very good book. It goes lots of interesting places, but it's a commitment, and and not everybody wants to start with Stormlight, and so something like starting with Mistborn, like we did, is uh, is pretty commonly recommended as well. But I've definitely I I definitely know people who dove right into the deep end and and started here.
1: Luckily, I think you would probably know right off the bat, (laughs) like, if I was trying to introduce someone to the Cosmere and I held up this Bible-sized book and was like, would you be willing to dive right into this? And then I would just look at their expression and see if I needed to switch over to Mistborn.
2: I'll tell you this, if we started the podcast with this, I'd be like,
1: uh...
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a a tougher sell. We talked, like, eons ago about how, like, if you told me to just read these books without, like, a podcast premise i'd probably be like maybe when i have time but if even if you were like let's do a podcast about this book
0: <laughs> this book that we're going to spend the next several months on oh
2: my god half a year like okay nearabouts, yeah at gunpoint
1: <laughs> <laughs> i said kicking and screaming
2: <laughs> yeah but you know what brandon has proved himself to be a competent enough writer that i'm i'm willing to stick with it let's do it baby all right
0: (laughs) so yeah uh before we actually start talking about the the things we have examined i wanted to uh provide a a bit of context for the creation of this book because i think it's a a fun story where i think we've we've talked in the past about how uh brandon started his career you know if, if you're an aspiring author and you're having some difficulty getting that that first book sale uh you may take some solace in the fact that brandon wrote something like a dozen books before he made his first sale uh and so this was i think the early 2000s he was he he had not yet sold a book was uh, was feeling a bit frustrated by it and he had he had some connection to the industry at that point you know he was talking with publishers and whatnot and the word that he was getting from publishers, uh, the George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire was becoming very popular. I think three books were out at that point. Uh, and so what the publishers were saying they really wanted was something in that same kind of of vein, something gritty, you know, some some violence, some sexiness, that kind of thing. Uh, but like a two or three book series, and maybe like 150 to 200,000 words each, not this like seven books of 300,000 words each. Something a little little easier for people to to get a hold of. And if you could write that, we we could probably sell that. And Brandon had to think, do I want to write that? And and he said to himself, "No, I want to write this story that I've had in my head for years and I've been building and it's going to be Ten books long, and they're going to be a thousand pages each, and there's going to be fifty characters, and so he wrote the first volume of of Stormlight, uh, the Way of Kings. Uh, it is not quite the book that we're about to read because that version he will admit was not good enough. Uh, however, shortly after he did that, he sold a and you know the rest, as they say, is history. But he he did write The Way of Kings and then said, yeah, that's what I want to write, regardless of what the publishers are saying is, is the thing that they can sell. This is my story and I want to tell it. So then go forward several years where he had done Mistborn, he had done a couple of other books. Uh, most crucially, he had uh, assisted the Robert Jordan estate with finishing The Wheel of Time, which gave him some practice in doing a large extensive series he said okay i'm going to do the stormlight archive and that's when he wrote uh this which we have now is
2: is the the published version of the way of kings that was a great introduction (laughs) i really liked that that was well uh hair on my neck standing up just the one but no that was great um uh sorry only one of your many
3: hairs stood up, or you only have one hair on your neck.
2: I've only got one hair.
3: Wow! Damn. In general, you got a hundred percent of Sam's hairs to stand up on the That's neck, right. Justin. That's crazy.
1: Wait, in general, are do you? You got like some Charlie Brown hair? I said neck. Right. We we
3: clarified neck.
2: Yeah. Um. And my commentary on this is, it looks like that guy is saying, "Go that way." Yeah, he's giving directions.
0: <laughs> cool. <laughs> no, over there. <laughs>
1: What?
3: <laughs> like he he started out by just pointing, and the guy couldn't tell what he was doing. So he's like, "Okay, I've got the
0: sword out because it's gonna make the pointing easier." <laughs> I mean, I have more like neat publishing stories about the cover if we want to start talking about the cover. I I read
3: I read the acknowledgments. I know there's a little story behind the cover.
2: Mm-hmm. I didn't read the acknowledgments. <laughs> uh,
0: I I did note it's kind of funny uh, because the acknowledgments are like two pages long one of which is almost entirely names of people who he worked with. Uh, but he says in there, this is turning into an epic acknowledgements. <laughs> uh, Beth, you can confirm they only get longer.
1: Yeah. I. The most recent book I was reading, I think had like three to four pages and it's yep. much shorter.
3: Yeah. And that's also like, I generally read the acknowledgement sections of books. Even like just in general, this is not that long of an acknowledgement section. I've seen like, 150-page books that have acknowledgement sections that are slightly longer than this one.
2: I mean, given its size, given its history, it, it, he can... It, it, it's not terrible, but I... Yeah. I just, I don't like the... I don't like acknowledgements in general. That's I <laughs> <laughs> like, I, Conceptually. <laughs> that's why what Sam
3: refuses to acknowledge
0: me most of the time. I
2: got my fists <laughs> on my chin. what I miss? Uh, this one,
0: I... One thing that I always like to see as as we get to the later books that I don't think shows up yet in this one, um, something that Brandon has been very has been trying very hard to do lately in his career is bringing in uh, experts to consult on various all sorts of subjects that he'll talk to people on. Uh, and he'll always acknowledge those uh, and and mention what their expertise is in. And it's always this kind of weird. It, it's like Beth's uh, episode spoilers with no context, <laughs> where where it's like for this book I'd like to thank this expert on uh, uh, medicine, uh, this expert on horsemanship, and and it's like how are all these things going to tie together that he needed to consult experts on,
1: and this expert on weekend at Bernie's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they got Bernie. Incredible. <laughs>
3: <laughs> John Bernie.
1: John <laughs> the, man, the, Bernie. Man, the legend.
2: <laughs> Bernie's his last name. Oh.
1: oh.
2: Bernie's the name of the sled. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers.
0: <laughs> but yeah, one of the one of the things that uh, Brandon does mention in the acknowledgments is this cover uh is by a an artist named Michael Whalen. And if you look at Michael Whalen's credits uh, on his website or whatnot for sci-fi and fantasy books, uh, it's hundreds of books, uh, a lot of kind of 80s and 90s sci-fi and fantasy. He was a very popular, very successful cover artist. Uh, Brandon mentions in the acknowledgements that uh, he started reading a fantasy book because of the, the Michael Whalen cover. Uh, I would guess that it was a Dragonlance book i know he did all the the Dragonlance covers uh, and so as as brain's career progressed and he got more and more pull over the kind of physical form of the book at this point he he said i'd love if i could get a michael whalen cover and and he did so that was that was kind of a personal milestone for him and i think it's a really cool cover
3: yeah it is <laughs>
2: <laughs> it certainly is. I had a I had a question about the cover art, more of a I guess a question between Caleb and I here. Uh, uh we have had in all of our covers thus far has been a thing that happens in the book or a person who appears. I is this going to happen in the book? And if so, what is happening? <laughs> I, that's actually a really good question because so far yeah on the cover specifically it has been
3: characters that we can see and be like that's this character once we read the book it's like that's Vin, that's Serene, that's um, I yeah I was looking at this cover and I didn't really think about how this sets it apart from before but I'm looking at this and I don't know if these are going to be like characters we know I kind of saw this and was like you know maybe this is part of a daily routine and these are just kind of generic guards or adventurers but there's also a chance that that these are are going to be famous people so yeah i guess yeah my thing was i don't know if this is going to be like a scene that we see directly but i was kind of expecting like a. and then the the guard went on his way to do the daily routine of signaling to the the outer scouts or something um but
2: oh it's wellen <laughs>
1: Yeah, if you actually look just off camera, Vin is swooping in from the sky to kill the other guy so that Welland can become even more traumatized. My my question is, is there is that a laser
3: coming out of the... I, I don't think it is. I think it's just a cool visual effect because it's not coming out of the tip of the sword. But almost out of the tip of the sword, there's a streak of particularly, like, Bright neon blue that if you follow along the spine and towards the back, it just keeps on going. And I, I can't tell if that's just part of the sky or if that's meant to
0: be an actual thing. I believe that is uh, just a part of the, these massive clouds in the sky. Okay, no laser swords. All Speaking right. of
3: massive clouds <laughs> in the sky, I wonder if that'll be important. And I wonder if the lightning on the back of the book has got to be important.
0: In this, in this the book storm is... light. Archive. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, sure is a storm.
3: In fact, yeah, now that I'm looking at it, you can... Whoa. Cool world building that probably won't end up mattering. But you can tell what direction these characters are facing because the storm is always in the east, I believe, if we look at the maps. So does the sun rise north to south in this world? Or is, it, or is the angle just weird?
0: I don't it, know. It could depend on for how thought. far north or south <laughs> they are on the planet.
3: Yeah,
2: that's true. Uh, but I I think it's interesting because there's uh, uh I just wanna uh, if this happens in the book, like I said, I don't know what's happening. These two can't fight. <laughs> there's there's a big ass chasm in the way. Yeah, there and, sure is. They're not really menacing each other. They look kind of casual in their stances. And there's a shitload of space between them, so there's not like dramatic tension to kind of implied here.
3: Yeah, my interpretation is they're on the same side. Whatever's happening here, I I do think by yeah you you are correct that they do not seem confrontational particularly so my assumption was that they're uh allies to an extent
2: and it makes it it, it uh my theory about the title is uh the way of ca- oh god I have so much to talk about <laughs> about so little material uh it, another question for caleb do you think we're going to get a title drop in this book is a character going to say, after all, that is the Way of Kings? I think it's actually... I poo, I hadn't thought about
3: that. We've technically... We have very technically gotten a title drop in every single <laughs> uh, Cosmere work we've read so far. Some of it's because this is a central location and um, Hero of Ages and Well of Ascension are, are at least like... here's Here's a plot reason to say the title. I think this might be... Now that I'm thinking about it, it, might be similar to A Game of Thrones, which in the book A Game of Thrones, because that's that's just the first title, of the first book in the series, um, is kind of, it's a cool line, but it's kind of casually said. I don't think it's going to be like a, let's look at the camera and be like, ah, look at this, but it's a, <laughs> it, it is a conversation um, of the nature of of royalty and leadership. I could see a similar thing happening here. It's just kind of casually someone goes, well, the way of Kings is that you have to rule with an iron fist," like something like that. And then they just kind of move on. I don't think it's going to be like Well of Ascension where they're like, what was that? Did you just say the way of Kings? Why that's the same phrase that I saw in the ancient texts.
0: (laughs) I have a theory about the title. I mean, I'm, I'm all for getting into theories already. I mean, we can save it for... The end. If this is a more elaborate theory, but I have marked down Caleb's. There will be a title drop, but it will be a casual mention and not a major capital letters plot point. If you're just joining the show,
3: oh yes, I think for episode zero it makes (laughs) sense to kind of to be a little um uh, uh, what's the word? All over the place makes it sound like it's bad. I'm just a little looser with the format. Yes, that's that's a good way to put it um once we get into reading the text normally we're gonna go over the text and then there's going to be a a sequence where uh we cast actors in the role um uh sam chooses people that he thinks look good i spend way too long on all the minor characters and i probably shouldn't care about them and then we go (laughs) into our theory section where sam and i both predict what we think's coming up um and yeah, like I like I like I said, Beth said I think, yeah, episode zero. Well, let's jump around, let's just throw some theories off right
1: off the bat.
2: Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't have a discrete theories kinda of deal. I just have the one this is actually one of two maybe things I predict in my notes here. In my twelve hundred words of notes that I already have. <laughs> but uh but I think that the Way of Kings is a path or a road. Um, or the name of like a journey that they have to go on of legend, the way of Kings. But I kind of think it's like a path because, especially because, uh, we will talk about the back of the book. We will get there. I'm not talking about yet. I'm just mentioning the fact that it says life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Hmm. And also, as we'll talk about when we get to the maps, this is a fuck huge world, (laughs) There's a lot. And
3: we don't even have like a zoom in. Usually, you know, we get the map of Skagerrill, and then we zoom in to um uh uh the city of Luthadel.
0: This time we just we just get the world map, and that's it. I am super excited about the fact that we have so many things to talk about already. Yeah. Uh do we want to <laughs> go to the back of the book before we before we actually crack into it? I think we've we've looked at this cool picture. Uh, we've We've tried to figure out if this is actually going to happen, and I I have two predictions down already on what uh, what the way of kings actually means, if anything. I have a couple just additional
3: random thoughts about just the vibes, no, okay. no theories or anything. But yeah. yeah, it's a weird. It it seems pretty fantasy, but looking at this guy's armor, either he's just a very fancy boy, or there's like it feels like there's like a slight element of sci-fi as well with that boot. And his his super twirly like his super twirly flagpole, and then that sword is is wiggly and waggly, and I feel like that's more of kind of a a sci-fi ish design than a standard fantasy sword would be. So like that's kind of cool. And I'm also just noticing he's got a a cool little scorpion crab thing on his cape, which I have I I believe I have heard we will be getting uh, good crab contents in this book. But it's cool that. it's...
0: Prime crab content. (laughs) It's cool that it's already
3: working its way into like the actual world building. I'm excited. There's also some onions on the ground. I don't know what those are, we'll probably find out what those are. (laughs) We'll
2: find out. Also, um, uh, uh, just generally the cover as well. um, I have seen a lot of Michael Whalen covers uh, because um, behind the scenes, uh, my, partner has inherited a fucking gargantuan collection of vintage <laughs> sci-fi and fantasy books that's super cool uh, um which is super awesome uh a lot of them were in a cardboard box that uh collapsed because our basement was flooded and we didn't know uh, Oh no but uh don't worry at the time i worked at a museum and i gave the best ones to a conservation buddy and they fixed it up as much as they could so anyway nice. um <laughs> that's so dope. that that set a little bit of dread in me because, uh, dear listener, if you've never listened to us before, I am extremely skeptical of sword and sorcery fantasy books.
0: And Michael so Whalen I... has illustrated a lot of sword and sorcery fantasy.
2: A whole lot. <laughs> so I was like, oh no. Uh, but, um, I'm, I'm, it sounds like, flipping the book over, we're going to get a new magic system. Woo! Possibly two, possibly two whole magic systems that are brand new. How about we uh, we all flip the book over
0: as you uh, nicely cued us for? Huh!
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it requires we, we a we hub. Need,
0: we need to schedule <laughs> that process of flipping <laughs> this book over. And we have uh, we have something a little different because the. Uh, the previous books we've we've gone over the the back of the book and they are a a sales pitch like I mean that's what the back of a book is you know it it, it 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 tries to get you to read the book by describing it. Uh, this starts with a a piece of fiction. This is a an in universe kind of somebody talking, uh, and so not only do we have to like they're just they're just going to say things that are terms that we don't know and we're gonna to have to figure that out it is
3: very funny that you say unlike the others
0: this one's not really a
3: sales pitch because i've been excited to read every book we've read so far this back of the book is the most excited back of the book has gotten me to read a book um Hell
0: in this yeah. podcast so far this is hype i'm just gonna go ahead and read it it's like a paragraph when you collapse it all down <laughs> I long for the days before the last desolation. The age before the heralds abandoned us and the night's radiant turned against us. A time when there was still magic in the world and honor in the hearts of men. The world became ours, and yet we lost it. Victory proved to be the greatest test of all. Or was that victory illusory? Did our enemies come to recognize that the harder they fought, the fiercer our resistance? Fire and hammer will forge steel into a weapon but if you abandon your sword, it eventually rusts away. There are four whom we watch. The first is the surgeon, forced to forsake healing to fight in the most brutal war of our time. The second is the assassin, a murderer who weeps as he kills. The third is the liar, a young woman who wears a scholar's mantle over the heart of a thief. The last is the prince, a warlord whose eyes have opened to the ancient past as his thirst for battle wanes. The world can change. Surge binding and shard wielding can return. The magics of ancient days become ours again. These four people are key. One of them may redeem us, and one of them will destroy us. Well read. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really really cool. cool. I don't know. It's (laughs) I
3: always love the I don't know where I get it from, but the kind of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy aspect of like. This person is the surgeon. This person is the assassin. It's almost mm-hmm. like a heist movie where everyone has their little specialty. Mm. Um, and it also, like, it almost feels very prophetic of, like, here are four roles being fulfilled by these four mm-hmm. people. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's really cool. It's also just, you know, you mentioned buy-in and how it's a thousand pages, so it's hard to, to really get into it. But, Um. Once more, it seems like Brandon has, I think, learned a lesson from Elantris in terms of... There's not a single word in this description that I am not familiar with. We technically have two new (laughs) words with surge binding and shard wielding, but at least those are connected to words that I know. I feel like, even though I quite liked Elantris, one of the reasons I agree it's probably not the best place to start is in terms of mental headspace, it takes a lot of buy-in just to keep track of all the new vocab, and it seems like... Much like in Mistborn, Brandon has backed off from that a little and is now using all All the fantasy terms are still borrowing from words we know. So it's a lot easier to follow. And I think that'll just kind of make all the information a lot smoother to process. So I'm excited about that as well.
0: Yeah, if you're looking at the the four people we've introduced to, we do not have any yorns or people who have gone through the Hoed. <laughs> We have a surgeon, an assassin, a liar, and a prince.
1: Not a MyPon stick in sight.
0: Oh, well, I wish we had the MyPon sticks. We <laughs> gotta
3: have the MyPon sticks. Um, if I'm allowed to start um, throwing in some some theories. Yeah, let's hear them. Um, first of all, it's just really interesting that this is written first person. The first sentence is I, but the rest of the time it says we and our. And I feel like that's probably... The world, again, spoilers from this Bourne trilogy, the the world did technically end in quotes and everyone, like the whole prophecy was like, yeah, the world is going to have to end and stuff like that. But like, not everyone died. And so the fact that one of them says one of them will destroy us, I feel like that's probably referring to a group of people that this writer is a part of and not necessarily the whole world because I feel like that would lead to the end of a story and a bad ending. (laughs) Um, but one of them may redeem us, one of them will destroy us. I'm just going to go ahead and throw out some guesses as to who's who there. Um, I feel like judging from Brandon's previous work, he really likes the idea of, uh, uh, royalty whose heart is in the right place can be a good leader. So I feel like the prince is going to be the one who may redeem us. Unless Brandon's going against type and the prince slash warlord is going to be the bad guy. But I don't think that's the case. And looking at these four, I feel like the surgeon is the most, like, surface level. Okay, yeah, that's a heroic figure. That's that's a good person. The rest of these, there's clearly some moral ambiguity. But the the surgeon, good person. And I feel like that's not going to be the case. I think the surgeon's going to be the one that's going to, quote-unquote, destroy us, whoever us is. Um, But that's, that's my theory there i don't know i just really love this back of the book we get two two phrases that might be two different kinds of magic systems and i am excited to read them we get more i guess it's just or dna in general because we had the the shayad and then we had um the the ash mounts shooting ash into the sky everything's been post-apocalyptic so far and I, I didn't realize that was a running theme, but like first sentence, I long for the days before the last desolation. All of these stories happen after some bad shit has gone down. Um, and I think that's a really interesting through line that keeps happening in all these books. Um, but I'm excited to see how this one plays out.
2: It's an interesting starting point. It really is. Um, I am most excited to read about I am both excited and baffled, I guess, uh, in equal measure, to read about the liar, uh, because surgeon, assassin, prince—those are like a person is those things. A liar right. is just that's like a, a, that's a job. Yeah, <laughs> I lie for a living. <laughs> I make my money not telling truths. Oh, so you're like a like a like a sorry for horoscope people out there, but you're a fortune teller? No, I just lie. Um, so
1: <laughs> Give me five dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah. How much lying do you have to do for that to be your epithet? <laughs> How,
2: apparently, well, it could just be one big lie, one enormous lie that happened, and then all of a sudden you're the liar, you know. <laughs> I guess uh, this is who I am now. Uh, like the... I'm not gonna... Never mind. Um, anyway, uh, Dirty jokes. Uh, So, I don't get the liar, and I'm betting that's going to make for the liar being among the more compelling characters in the book. Um, Of the four, I'm going to say the liar might intrigue me the most if indeed we see these four people. Um, And I can't wait to be wrong, and the liar dies in chapter two. That'll be great.
3: <laughs> There's a podcast I listened to where one of the hosts was talking about how they don't like it when, like... If a birthday cake comes out and it has the name of the person written on it, he doesn't like that. He doesn't want the chef to have thought about him specifically while making the food. and he, Because he's really paranoid. And his thing was, yeah, because if I know that the chef knows who I am, he might be a poisoner. And the <laughs> phrasing of that was really funny. And one of the other hosts was like, that's not a job. That's not like, <laughs> people aren't just poisoners. That's not the identity that people
0: have.
2: I am he who poisons. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's, like, maybe in, like, ye olde fantasy. Yeah, it's some ye, D&D shit. Right, if if you are, like, a, a some sort of villainous king who has, like, a, a whole staff of evil stewards, you might hire a poisoner. But yeah. in this actual world, no, you don't do that.
3: Emperor Ashravan may have not had any blood fountains, but he did have a royal poisoner. And is that not cause for concern? <laughs> so what the hell are surge binding and shard wielding? I don't know. At the very end, we get... So it goes out of italic text and then does turn into a little sales pitch real quick. And then it goes back into, like you mentioned, the ancient oaths. And then it says, Return to men the shards they once bore, which in of itself is interesting because capital S shard from what we know, it seems to mean something different. The idea of there being multiple shards on Roshar is wild. But then I remembered, I, d- I actually don't have the Elantris within reach. I wish I could slam it down again. <laughs> um, uh, specifically, he mentions, the, the writer of the Arzarkanum mentions Cell and uh, uh, Skadriel having, I think it's a complete shard, full shard. It's called a full shard. So Maybe these are partial shards, and I, I assume the shards are, like, objects that have magical effects. Um, but the idea of the shard splintering into smaller shards is already very interesting to me. I have no idea what surge bending is. <laughs> binding, binding. I kept reading that and being like, oh, it's like airbending. No,
0: surge binding. My bad. <laughs> so here's a question. Uh, this guy on the front cover uh, is certainly wielding something. Is that a shard? It could be. I was talking about how this—it didn't
3: look like a normal sword, but it has the handle attached to it. And I feel like if it's a if it's a piece of divinity, you can't just glue a handle onto it and say it's a sword now. But maybe you can. That would be a sick sword—just a, a piece of an ancient god that is also happens to be sharp. Maybe. I haven't. I have a new if-then statement. if that is a shard then that character is not just a nameless guard that's an important person
2: (laughs) I'm gonna say yes just uh... okay Uh, okay so uh, I I wrote a little bit about church burning and shard wielding uh, which is pointless uh, and uh, circuitous but um, so we know nothing about this world Except maybe something, something out of Alceum. I don't even know if that's going to happen. We heard it in Mistborn. Just haven't heard shit about it. Uh, So I don't know what surges or shards are. Um, I guess we kind of know what shards are. but Very.
3: We don't know <laughs> a lot about them. We just know that they are a thing. Shards. We know and... that shards are. And they seem to be tied to the magic system of
2: each world. I think. Yes. Um, I'm betting We're gonna spend the first maybe three chapters learning what this shit is, um, and then the rest of it kind of polishing, like we did with uh with Mistborn. Um, I know it's probably not gonna be quaffing metals, drawing in the air, or carving shit into bones or artifacts. Uh, because that's stuff he already did. Um, I, he's not a. Well, you know, he does, as we said, he does love a post-apocalyptic setting, but I feel like with stuff that iconic, he's not going to retread that ground very much. So, um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, there's a guy with a sword <laughs> and a map with a bunch of palindromic-ish names. I don't know.
3: Okay. So you're saying there's a chance for some Tai Chi.
2: <laughs> it's always a chance for Tai Chi. I
3: actually <laughs> wouldn't I legitimately wouldn't be too surprised if Shard wielding, I feel like, you know, it says return to men, the shards they once bore. That's like a thing. You can have a shard and then wield it. Surge binding, I feel like, is probably more like the other magic systems we've seen that are a little more inherent and I know it's not bending, I know I just made that discovery, but it could be, like, kind of martial arts-y. I could see that happening, being able to bind the surges of the of people's life force or something. I don't know. I don't know what any of this means. I'm, I don't know what any of this shit is, and I'm fucking scared.
2: I would say, Surge, if I had to, if you put a gun to my head and said, what do these words mean? I would say, uh... oh god, I'm so reminded of something. And I want to talk about, it, but it's going to take 12 minutes, um, so I won't. Surge binding, um, I would say, is defensive, and shard wielding is offensive, because okay. just the sound of the words makes kind of implies that. That's about all I got.
3: <laughs> I just had a thought actually, because you were you were talking about what if gun to my head, what would I guess it is? And knowing that storms are important, there's a lot of lightning on the cover, and knowing that like. Sometimes Ralkalest means aluminum. Sometimes there are fantasy words for things that we otherwise understand. I wonder if surge binding
0: is like electricity powers. Ooh. Okay. There's a. Yeah, you're you're taking the the surge of lightning and you are kind of shaping it into something you can actually do something with.
3: Yeah, that sounds that sounds something like could, you, we could have a little something going there. Yeah. Which makes it just like lightning bending, I'm gonna keep forcing it
2: <laughs> we've we've tricked these rocks to think,, uh, which is a computer. it's different, but yeah <laughs> if we put this hot thing in water, it boils and then we turn a fan, and now it's electricity. that's magic, that sounds like magic to me. that's at a nuclear reactor, which is weird it's weird to me that like that's the science behind a nuclear reactor, literally. Yeah.
0: You get, some, you get some hot rocks, they make steam, they make a thing spin. Yeah, that's, that's not even
3: just nuclear. Like, a lot of generators are just, let's, make some, let's find out how to make steam so that we can spin a thing.
0: Yeah, it is, uh, it is one of the most efficient ways of producing electricity that we have ever managed. Uh, and so once you find a way to generate heat, you can just go back to making steam.
1: Wow, I love the sunlit map.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, when you get the waste, you can just send it out of the map with a hypertube cannon.
0: I should play more satisfactory. Oh, satisfactory. I don't, I don't so have good. time for this, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do not want to leave out, uh, after we have the uh, the publisher text, uh, we then, we've mentioned it, we have uh, the, the ancient oaths Life Before Death, Strength Before Weakness, Journey Before Destination, uh, which is just a... a, It has more meaning for Beth and I because we know the context, but I think also even without the context, it is a cool-sounding oath.
3: It it sounds cool. And I think (laughs) Sam's thing about Journey Before Destination, if that ends up being tied to the quote-unquote Way of Kings, that'll be really cool. But the first two are just like... Good thing before bad thing. Do the... Do... Do good thing. Don't... Put... Make sure that's more important in your life than the bad thing. Again, I'm sure once I get the context, it'll be cooler. And maybe, like... Before can mean a lot of things. When I think of an oath, and I think of the word before, I mean... I, I see that to mean, like... Value strength above weakness. Which is like... Yeah. I guess that's a good thing for a knight to think. Um... But it could also mean, like, journey before destination clearly is like a time thing of the journey comes before destination. And I guess life before death, that also means that. So, with that in mind, strength before weakness is kind of the weirdest one. Unless before just means something different for each of these. I don't know. The first two, I was like, yeah, yeah, that yes, that's how the world works. (laughs) Um, But I am excited to find out more about, uh, like I said, the context, which could change everything
0: very cool i think we can uh we can open this book now
3: yay we are on (laughs) track i think of hitting our mandatory at least two hours per episode i think we're gonna hit it guys
0: (laughs) despite having zero actual quote-unquote book content in
3: this episode yeah despite having about 10 pages worth of things to talk about
1: Hey, we got that bonus full page illustration coming That's up. True. Hold on to your butts. That's gonna
2: last us forty minutes at least. <laughs> God, speaking of bonus, can we like just at the end? I, I want to tell my hold on call field story. Go <laughs> have for I told it. that on the podcast before? I don't think you have. Don't think so. Okay, because it's it's a good one. It's good, and, but it's it's very long. <laughs> Stay tuned, Maybe, everyone. A, a little Probably bonus content for you. Sequence. That, at the end of the episode, yeah. that's right. Yeah,
3: in a couple years, we're gonna release a new edition of this episode that has a bonus 12 minute monologue from Sam about Holden Caulfield, unique to this edition,
2: and it's just as doodly as the. It's it's a little doodly anyway. Uh, inside front cover art.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm very glad that they did, uh, they did keep these because, uh. As we'll see as we go through this book, uh, at this point in his career, uh, Brandon, had he had the pull to do things like, can I get Michael Whalen to do the cover? Uh, there's also, there's a decent amount of art in this book. We'll see a, the occasional um, art page. And that's definitely something that you would cut when you were trying to make the the cheaper paperback. And so... These, this inside front cover here, uh, this was originally printed on the interior of the hardcover because that's normally a printed page. Mm. And for this paperback, the the inside of the actual physical front cover is just a blank page. But then we have we have another two sheets of paper so that we can have this this map and this very interesting looking diagram uh, because they're they're cool and I would not want to to leave them out.
2: Yeah,
3: what's going on with this diagram?
0: Mm. <laughs> Brandon does love his sigils.
3: He does. He does. <laughs> he does. I mean, it is curious, because in Elantris, the, the sigils were very important, like directly important to the plot. In the Mistborn trilogy, those little symbols, I don't think they really come up. Like, we kind of get the gradual no, reveal that they are really. the spikes... Kind of maybe represents hemalurgy in a way, but the characters never talk about, oh, here's an arc in a circle with two lines drawn through it. Like it never actually comes up in the plot, and I'm curious if which which one of those it's going to be. Are we going to have the characters directly talking about these sigils, or are they just cool things and we can kind of assume that they they mean magic stuff? And also, there's the weird crab things behind
1: them.
2: <laughs> yeah, like a crabby dragony. Fancy something. Now,
3: I have a rant, and I think I'm gonna try to make it or a monologue. Rant always sounds bad. This is a very good thing I'm gonna share with all of you. Is anyone right off the bat familiar with Evil Ack? I don't
0: think I, so. You've told me about Evil ack I've probably
3: forced Evil onto Beth at some point. <laughs> um, but In the, I believe, I get He-Man and Conan confused sometimes. I believe it was a Conan the Barbarian uh, cartoon. There's one episode where Conan has to fight just this weird looking spider thing that has like a devil face. And he's only in the one episode. He never shows up again. But the guy's dialogue makes it seem like he's the final boss of the entire show. He just shows up. He's like, now you must still survive Evilac." And um, Conan kicks his ass pretty handily, but it's just very funny that this weird looking crab demon thing comes out of nowhere and then bites it immediately. And the show is like, oh, what's going to happen? Is Conan going to make it? Yeah, he he kills Evilac, but Evilac thinks he's the hottest shit ever. And anyways, these guys look like Evilac, and I, I, I had to say that. I was obligated.
1: Legally. Obligated.
3: I was. (laughs) Anyways, there's also like borders around the the drawing that, if I counted correctly, there's ten of them and they all look different. I'm curious if they'll end up being important. Um, Yeah, you got those uh, those ten little faces there. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, could these be the people writing the back of the book? I'm assuming, because we're going to be looking at the map in just a second, this inside cover map of the Silver Kingdom's epoch of Roshar and it seems like the these two drawings were probably drawn a while ago from within the plot of the book so i feel like these these faces are probably of of people of old rather than current characters but we'll see
2: maybe from the epoch of the silver kingdoms perhaps mm-hmm.
0: yeah let's uh let's take a look at uh, map number 1 uh, like like we mentioned, we don't actually get the the zoom in where during uh, during Mistborn we got a a map of a region and then a map of one or two cities. Uh, and for Elantris, we got a kind of stepped view of the continent and then one country and then one city. Uh, we have we have a map here of one very large continent, and then when we get to the The end of what we read today we have another map of the same very large continent,
2: but different mm-hmm. but Some different differences. different yeah there's plenty
0: so yeah we we have uh as it is labeled here Roshar in the silver kingdoms epoch uh and the uh the the nations or regions here that are all uh, all labelled
2: mm. Including Rashir, which is on Roshar. Roshar is home to Rashir. Here we go again. Uh, we've got we've got Natanatan. <laughs> and uh Mecca Oakland. You know, go Raiders. <laughs> I'm sorry, I meant go A's. I, I believe that's
0: saying. a uh I believe that's a B in the center of that word, and it's uh Mechabacam. Oh, is it's it? Is not I also is... thought that was an O yeah with like an accent mark on it knowing what that like some of the world history here i believe that's makabakam okay it was reading this we we often have these silent
3: wars on the podcast where we almost never directly acknowledge (laughs) it but we just pronounce things differently and it's, Mm -hmm. it's always a fierce battle of who will win in the end and it was while looking at this map that i was like oh we're gonna have some pronunciation wars this time
2: Oh, God. I can tell you oh, it, it ended yeah. in a complete draw after the Emperor's Soul because everybody pronounced Gautona differently. <laughs> yup. <laughs> G- G- <laughs> or...
3: Oh, yeah, I think Beth and I are on the same page, but for, I think for a little bit we had four different pronunciations.
2: Yeah. And I kind of flipped back and forth and I was recognizing this. I was like, fuck, I don't I, what, get. I don't know.
3: I'm just glad that despite Beth's best, best efforts, we did win the Hraithan War.
1: Son of a bitch, it's Raffin. I I I've slipped at points, but I stand by it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll uh it, I I don't think we're going to get the the onslaught that we did in Elantris. But this is a large book about a large region and there are going to be a lot of names and uh I feel like I feel like there's more consensus in the fandom on on some of these. Uh, so hopefully we can uh we can converge somewhat but i'm definitely not going to guarantee it
1: no there's some some names with j's in them and if if it's a j sound or like a y sound it's gonna get grim (laughs) the girls will fight
0: (laughs) they're all y sounds
1: okay (laughs) okay just we won't
2: we won't hurt you it's okay we'll try not okay (laughs) Justin, please let us out of. (laughs) so jack kevin is pronounced yeah kevin
1: (laughs) (laughs) somewhere my roommate is screaming (laughs) she hates how it's pronounced
0: but yeah looking at these uh looking at these countries and looking at the some of the notes that sam has posted uh sam you definitely clued onto this a lot faster than i did uh, <laughs> all of these country names are palindromes.
2: Well, ish. Ish. Yeah, uh, With a, a, a little... Yeah. Eerie's a palindrome. I don't
0: know. Eerie, we can confirm, is in fact a palindrome. <laughs> yes, confirm. That
3: one I think we can do. <laughs> I get... Well, yeah. In terms of... I assume I assume part of it is they use different letter. Like, mm-hmm. in the world, it's, it's, it's kind of like a... Uh, Tolkien was like... They're not technically speaking English. I've translated it from Hobbit to English for you, <laughs> so like, Alathila is technically not a palindrome in English, but all the sounds check out. So that if the alphabet was slightly differently, and they have one letter for the th sound, then that would be um,
0: that. They Rauhaus? do in fact have. They do in fact have letters for th and sh. So, um, do they have one for lh? H's are weird uh this actually does get discussed in book at some point so we'll wait to that okay Uh, but but the gist that sam spotted that these are intended to be palindromic or something of the sort uh definitely is a thing cool
3: Uh, even roshar itself is if they have an sh letter wow that's neat no it's not o and a dang it damn it (laughs) god damn it it's close it's close Someone
2: mistranslated the name. It should be Roshor. Is there a book where characters, like on text, argue about how something is pronounced? Uh, I guess there is in Harry Potter. It's Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs> <laughs> or is that just uh, in the movie? I don't know.
0: I know this this book will feature characters who find other languages hard to pronounce like we're we're going to meet people from far enough across the world that they're going to hear someone's name and go I don't know how to say that. So we are we're going to get that. Does it count if it's a story I've written? We'll go with yes. Cool. And
3: in the extra bonus episode feature edition of this episode, I'll go into my rant about that, but there's we don't need to go into that.
1: That's a Patreon exclusive. <laughs>
3: it's gonna be real we keep making patreon jokes it's gonna be weird if like a year and a half from now we actually do it and then people go back and listen to the entire podcast and they're like why are they laughing about that that is a patreon exclusive
1: it's just early advertising
0: <laughs> it's all we're we're foreshadowing we're, we're
3: putting up the dots so you can connect them later <laughs>
0: is there anything else we want to uh, to look at at the the silver kingdoms here or should we go uh look at our our bonus full page illustration
2: I think I'm about ready for that bonus illustration yeah I'm ready for the crash bandicoot villains
0: these are some uh some weird looking fellas here aren't they
3: yeah y'all are I it is funny to pay 25 dollars for this one single page but I do really like this illustration it's kind of spooky looking i i it's 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 off-putting and strange um and yeah i I think it's neat it's interesting to me that the, the left and the center one, I'm just pointing out observations at this point, have designs that are very similar to a lot of the insignias on on that magic system page. But all of those have vertical symmetry. And the guy on the right sure doesn't. The guy on the right feels like an odd one out because he's all he's all loopy and, and circular and radial. And I don't know. It's just interesting to me. It's funky. These are funky looking guys. And there's also just something about the angle. Like, they are looking down on the, oh, yeah. the viewer, which I think adds to the strange atmosphere of it. This feels like... I i legitimately mean this in a positive way, even though a lot of these are, are crap. This page feels very creepypasta to me. This feels like you would you would read about someone who found this page in the forest or something and was like, and I've been having nightmares of these figures ever since.
1: I don't like his hands. His hands are also bad. I
2: was just gonna mention, like, I didn't notice it the first time I was looking at it, but yeah, he's got, he's got, uh, uh human esque hands, big old hands, no face. Well, I guess it's kind of a, it's a, kind of a face is a shape of face,
0: it, like either the whole thing is face or none of it is face, and either <laughs> of those are
3: disconcerting.
0: There's a very easy way
3: to determine this. If you create a soul stamp for a person's face and you put it on this guy's face, would the stamp take or not? That's that's the deciding factor. How because you, a face
0: wants to be a face. Do they have physical... Like, what are they made out of? How do you physically stamp them? Very good.
2: Well, carefully. they got hands. Maybe do it, like, like at a club. Like, when you stamp... Oh, like there you go. <laughs> yeah.
0: You figured it out.
3: Also, like, I can't... It can't, you can't need a perfectly flat surface because you can do someone's skin, which I know is mostly flat, but like, I don't know. Is there a, is there a, an angle of surface that no longer can be stamped? I don't know. I'm
0: just trying to figure out if there is surface, like what are they, what are they made out of and what are you actually physically stamping onto? Justin, haven't you read this book? Don't you? I I
3: have. Do you know what these things are?
0: Yes.
1: Hmm. Mind game. Interesting. Games. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you're
0: wondering what the <laughs> w- w- what those things are? I could be asking a, a a a prompting question, or I could be genuinely confused. I know that's what's the that's the wildest thing about the
3: Cosmere is that there have already been questions that say again. If you're first joining us, there have been questions that Sam and I have had that Justin and Beth have gone. Yeah, I legitimately don't know. No fucking clue. <laughs>
2: That is true. Someday we're going to get our revenge, and we're going to have a podcast where we've read the material, but you two haven't. It'll be flipped on its head. That's
0: also a Patreon bonus episode.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's
3: going to be a Don't Hug Me, I'm a Scared episode. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm just trying to think of media that I know Sam and I have consumed, and I don't know if Beth and Justin have.
2: I could talk for years about Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. The story of Michael... So heartwarming. He was the ugliest boy in town. So he lived on his own underground. The end. Fucking love that episode.
0: It's <laughs> very good. I am at least familiar with the concept of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, but I don't know if I've actually seen all of it. We're doing it.
1: I've seen the first one. Day. one.
0: One
3: day we're gonna do it, Sam. This is gonna happen. Oh yeah. We're gonna make an episode for each video too. It's gonna and we're gonna have it's they're all gonna be two hours long. We're gonna make it happen.
2: <laughs> April Fool's <laughs> twenty four, baby.
0: Alright. Yeah. Uh these these fellows are creepy. We'll figure out if we ever see them in this book. There's a lot of book for them to show up in this book. There there sure
3: it's
2: is. True.
0: We're gonna get a lot of mileage out of that one, let me tell you. <laughs> we go from there to our, uh, our title page, The Way of Kings, book one of the Stormlight Archive, uh, which is is funny because the first actual text that we're going to get uh, is the prelude to the Stormlight Archive. Uh, this, is, this is something that Brandon has been lightly mocked by his, his friends and uh, fellow authors for this book. Uh, this book has three prologues, if you get down to it, uh, and he he got away with that by calling one of them the prelude to the whole series, the second one the prologue, and the third one is chapter one, but really it's another prologue.
3: <laughs> I'm
0: wi- I should wait until I read it, but I'm willing to to give it a a pass.
3: Um, I was era makes fun of Return of the King for having five different endings, and last time I watched, it, I was like. No, all of these endings are good. I like them. Leave it yeah. alone.
0: It's beautiful. Yeah. I th- I think it's in the same category of you only give this to someone as their first Sanderson book if they are an enthusiast of books like this. Mm. And for some people having having three prologues, yeah, that's fine. It, like I know I I think I've mentioned at least once or twice the the Malazan book of the Fallen series. That starts with a a snippet of an epic poem from like 300 years before the events of the book, including like chapter and verse citations, and then it goes into a prologue. So yeah, I'm fine with that. We do then have our acknowledgments, which I don't think we need to go in in great detail on these, uh, as he does have a lot of people to thank. Um, he he does thank the inevitable Peter Allstrom, uh, who is his personal assistant, uh, and every every time he thanks Peter, uh, Peter gets a new epithet, most of which start with "I" and in make increasingly less and less sense as an epithet to call someone. That's wonderful.
1: I was a little shook because normally when he he thanks Isaac Stewart, his art director, he like takes one letter in Isaac's name and gives it a weird
2: accent that, yeah. or like
1: stylization or something but I don't see it in this version tragic
2: but he is to be commended he is to be commended yes <laughs> commended be him big ups to Isaac Stewart yeah Hops. and a Byron Buxton <laughs> yeah I just I don't want us to expound upon Byron Buxton that's fine no need to yeah <laughs> Stands on his own. With his two oh nine year uh batting average or whatever. Baseball! Isaac Base- Baseball
1: Ball.
2: and
0: Tom Doherty. And Tom Doherty, who did in fact publish this book. Or as as Brandon puts it, who let me get away with writing it. <laughs> uh, we have a we have a table of contents, which we did not have for Elantris. Uh and we see uh returning to books now we have named well we had named parts uh before we we do have a couple other things that are returning that we'll we'll get to once we get to them uh and we also have uh interludes which it'll take us a couple of episodes before we get to our interludes but i really like them
3: interesting we also in terms of having three prologues we also have an epilogue and an end note and then the R arcanum yes <laughs> which is similar to a lot of the other books so far, but it is also just very funny of like, there's there's a lot of ending to this ending as well. I also have a new, I, I also have a theory from from just this table of contents. Okay. We've got five parts, and I think it would be interesting, and I'm kind of hoping, that each of the first four parts follows one of those four characters on the back of the book, and we'll probably see some of the other ones like, interacting with them, but each part is going to focus on one of them, and part five is all of them coming together.
0: Well, if it is a Brandon Sanderson book, which it certainly is, uh, I think the last part of that, of part five has all of them coming together, is definitely the the strongest bet of that. I'm feeling confident on that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, regardless of how much we see them in which combinations in, in parts one through four, uh, part five, I think we can expect uh some 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 combinations
2: and some short quick povs
0: yeah
3: human shows up for 20 words and everyone's like (laughs) what is he doing here
0: that would be wild there is a chapter in a future stormlight book that i believe has 30 povs it's absurd sorry
3: 30 different like
0: changes or 30 individual characters who we get a pov from 30 changes but i believe it's i think 10 characters okay it's, it's, still, it's still a, a lot. lot it's yeah, a lot okay. uh, and then we have in the the table of contents is a list of all of the the illustrations which i was i'm, I'm always worried when there's things like this of uh how much is that going to spoil and I think we're fine here I don't think there's anything that's really a spoiler we have some character names uh, and a little bit of, of description but uh, there's there's a couple of, of categories here that we're going to be uh, returning to we have Shalon's sketchbook that is going to feature heavily uh, we have Navani's notes that appear once or twice uh, and then uh, a couple of other maps so don't worry once we finish this episode we're not done with the maps hell yeah I can only hope we get a good sketch of Evilac in one of these.
3: <laughs>
2: Including a map of Carbbranth, which uh, I had written off because it's part of the Frostlands, and that's a very dismissive name. But apparently we'll go there, to the Frostlands. Well, at least go to one city.
3: There's also, like, looking at it, I imagine... I. There's one that's just called Map of Four Cities, and I would kind of expect it, if that's referring to a specific location, to be a map of the four cities. It's kind of funny to read a, a, a table of contents entry. It's like, "There's here's four random cities I picked. It's a map of, of, of these ones. It's, there's it, some it, it's cities out there. It's very nonspecific to say, here's a map of four cities. It is from evidence, though, so perhaps they don't even know what cities they're looking at. Mm. Who knows?
2: Well, if it's just a map of St. Paul and Minneapolis, but twice we could
0: we could find another another pair of twin cities and yeah just have four cities that are actually two cities
1: isn't there a quad cities out there am i making that up that sounds like a thing yeah there it's it's
0: in uh
2: western illinois there's the quad cities Mm. no there's the tri-state area there's like
0: seven tri-state areas (laughs) map of three states
1: Okay, sorry, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article for Quad Cities. And the fact that there are five cities listed? Yes! (laughs) What are we doing?
0: Map of 20 cities. (laughs) Yeah, the the Quad Cities are, uh, on the Iowa side of the border, Davenport and Bettendorf. uh, And on the Illinois side of the border, Rock Island, Moline, and East Moline.
1: The Midwest is fake.
0: Let's look at another map.
1: Hell yeah, yeah.
2: but a little. So, yeah, speaking maps, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things. Like, uh, like to Bela, I'm a I'm a guy that speaks Spanish here. That means your Bela, because oh. <laughs> it's the possessive you. I am glad we have these insights. <laughs> um, but on the, on a serious note, uh, Erie still exists, and I think it's the only one that still exists um
3: IMEA also is the same the island on the the west side oh
0: but yeah aside from that everything else seems to have been shuffled around a little bit yeah it's interesting to see this is uh this does not have uh this actually does have a uh a specific date labeled uh if you look on the uh the lower right uh this this kind of fancy stamp here uh for his royal majesty king gavilar colin by his royal high high cartographer Isisak Shulin, 1167. What we don't have is a date of the Silver Kingdoms to know what the actual relationship between these two maps are.
3: I believe we can draw a conclusion, however, that this is after the Silver Ages Epoch, specifically because we do have a city titled New Nathanan, Um, Which would apply, it comes after the old Natanan, which is not quite the name, it's the Natan, Natan, but maybe the city was Natanan, like the capital city of Natan, Natan was Natanan, and now we have the new one. So, yeah, I'm assuming this is is a modern map, and the one on the cover was, uh, the cover art was, uh, from before, the before times.
2: I have an interesting thing to consider. Do tell. Uh, Caleb, where do you think this book will take place in this map? I truly,
3: truly have no idea.
2: <laughs> I have an idea. All right. Uh, be- I mentioned it. Uh, Eerie still exists, and the back of the book is hella like history, remembering the fallen forgotten times. I really think it's going to take place in Erie, at least part of it, and I think there's going to be like a few places it takes place, but one storyline I think is definitely going to be in Erie.
3: So. That could be, I'm thinking, I, I think that's probably that's probably a smart call, is multiple storylines in multiple places. I could see that definitely happening. I think there's probably going to be something important happening in New Natanan, specifically because... If we look at this rose compass, we have north and south, and then we have leeward and stormward. And as as shown by the back of the book, I mean, it's probably a massive, big, super scary fantasy storm. So it's probably seen, it could probably be seen from quite a ways away. But the storm is visible on the map, or on the, on the back cover. So I would assume that something is taking place on the, the eastern coast as well, or the eastern side of the continent.
0: It does definitely say something about the world that you have north and south, which are are very understandable, and then stormward and leeward. That's a pretty strong indication of uh, what's important here.
3: It's to the point of, like, we have Ocean of Origins pointed to the east. It almost feels weird to not have the storm also have an arrow pointed that direction. Hey, there's a storm over there. Watch out for that. But yes, big, big dune vibes from this big, big scary storm that can wipe people out all of a sudden, maybe. But also, if it's marked on the rose compass, the storm probably doesn't move that much. Unless that's the threat. Is there like the storm's way out there, and then one day it starts moving. Oh, shit, what do we do? Interesting. The storm is
0: a Bruin. I think that part I can say is is, going to happen pretty definitely.
2: that the storm will brew or that the storm will move
0: the storm will brew because it's a very vague thing that uh just kind of happens with storms
2: they do be brewing they do
0: be brewing
3: um there's also like a cool interesting i don't know if brandon is just really good at planning out his own geography or if he had someone look over this but the resh reshi isles Mm -hmm. um and the reshi sea it really, i I'm not a geographer. This is not an official endorsement. But it feels like it's probably realistic to have um kind of this this sea on the continent and there's kind of an outer ring. um and the the basin of the sea is probably much higher than the the ocean surrounding the continent, um, to the point that if like the polar ice caps got super, super cold and all the water started freezing, There'd be like a cool valley down there instead of a sea. Um, I don't know. It's again not a geographer, but it feels
0: right. It feels like this is a thing that could happen. Yeah, I mean, outside of all of our analysis, I think this is just a, a cool looking map that th- like there's some some story in the the geography and the the countries drawn here that I just it,
2: it's a it's a cool looking place. And Northgrip is a great name. There's in there... general
3: Northgrip's good. Mourn's Vault is very evocative. There's some cool, oh, yeah. some cool
0: names in here. I also like. We were looking at the uh, the the countries that seem to have persisted. We have Erie and Aimea that we identified, and and then the uh, the former Natanatan and then the city of New New Uh You also have uh the the former country of Alethala and then this this new country of Alethkar. and uh, you know there there's maybe like what's the historical connection there? You have uh, all the way on the uh, the west coast, formerly uh, Shin-Kak-Nish. uh you now have Shinovar. you at least have a, a shared first name there or first part of the name there so yeah what uh you know how many hundreds of years of history did we miss here and and what th- there's probably quite a bit that you could write in that gap and and we'll just we're just going to have to learn the history yeah
2: if i were playing civ i would try to place a city in Shinovar. very defensible
0: yeah got those uh those big old mountains and then the uh the sea axis as well if you were playing Risk, though, it would actually be a very poor to, uh place because there's a lot of
3: different countries bordering on it, and there's probably going to be a uh, naval connection from Aemia to Shinovar as well. So that would not be very strategic in Risk, but in Civ, yeah, that's a good spot. Um, I also have another question for Sam.
2: <gasps> okay.
3: Do you think Marabethia is going to be important? That bridge right smack dab in the middle between the Reshi Sea and the Pure Lake.
2: Oh, um, it's uh, I think that this is a journey book, and I think that might be an important journey spot. It, uh,
3: yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. If if there is a journey for sure, like that's that's definitely the, a a perilous path one might have to take. I feel like
2: because your alternative is to pass, I guess, with Yule, just to the south of that. If you're trying to go around the Pure Lake, um. Maybe it's rocking a hard place in terms of crossing. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And then with the, uh, with the mountains right to the south of that, you do end up with kind of these choke points where either you're crossing via the sea or you're, you're going to have to pass through, you know, one or two key cities. Yeah.
3: And at any point, Saruman could cause a, an avalanche and it would become clear that this is not the most advantageous path.
0: Something you always have to watch out for all right uh that was those were the things that i wanted to to take us through before we got to the book itself i know we've been interspersing predictions here and there and and questioning back and forth which is is super cool Uh, is there anything else just kind of big picture that uh, we think might might end up in this book i think people are gonna kill each other okay and i think people are gonna die (laughs) (laughs) i mean people do die when they are killed that's true (laughs) we could both be right um
3: yeah i got most of my my predictions out i think got a lot of notes but yeah not not a ton of predictions aside from ones i already spoke and
0: to the shock of the audience no casting yet (laughs) whoa we have not yet met a single actual person we do have a bunch of names, though. Even just from like the table of contents. I, let me be
3: clear. Based on vibes alone, I'm already brainstorming, but I don't have anything
2: anything set yet. Also, in terms of names, we have a lot of like place names. We don't have any specific like individual person names yet. There are a couple. There are a couple in the table of contents. Oh well, yeah, that's true. But, but again, yeah, also. That's...
3: I don't know if we'll ever end up meeting them, but we do have King Gavilar, Ko Lin, and Isisic Shulin from the, the map itself as well. But
0: uh, I can tell you one of those. We're not meeting Isisic Shulin uh, because that's Isaac Stewart. <laughs> oh, he killed Naj. He did. He replaced him. The The new map guy. <laughs> yeah, he, the, he got rid of his map guy.
3: Well, that's a, that's a weird thing, is in Mistborn, it seems like Naj made the maps. But in Elantris, it's specifically, here's a map I could find. So I'm curious, is Naj actually a map maker, or is he a map finder, or is he sometimes both? I don't know. But we, yeah, we do not get any mention of Naj uh, in these maps so far, which is in of itself mm-hmm. interesting, because we've gotten quite a bit of Naj from our previous books already.
0: We don't have any, uh, like frustrated annotations that he's added on right i will not be going back a third time
3: this bonus full page illustration was the only thing i could find
0: (laughs) all right uh i think that means that we should get started reading this book Uh, i'm going to be posting the the complete chapter breakdown for us so that we can see what the the scheduling is but i'll be announcing those as we go of course Uh, i do have to edit the chapter breakdown slightly because in this book Uh, We have chapter names, uh, and I think some of those can be a sort of a spoiler, so I'm going to be removing the chapter names from the the breakdown that I post. But we are going to be starting with the prelude, the prologue, and then chapters one and two for our our first episode. And I'm going to tell you about one character that we're going to meet in that section, uh, because I'm being reminded to tell you that. (laughs) Uh, We're going to meet Kaladin who is right here with me because that's also the name of my dog and we're going to be you should make sure that you look at at least one of our social media feeds because he will certainly be featuring Uh, but he's right here with me letting me know that he probably wants a walk and that I should stop podcasting but I'm not going to do that yet (laughs) because he's a dog and he doesn't get to decide that
1: yeah (laughs) but he speaks so good
0: Uh, so yeah with us uh, getting started with this book uh, you'll be able to find all of our episodes at alwaysanotherpodcast.com you can email us if you'd like at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com we got a couple emails quite recently Uh, we had one uh, offering what I'm calling Fermat's cookie recipe uh, yay they said they had a cookie recipe but it was too large to attach to the email so they didn't send it
1: well, How big Why, is this fucking hell? cookie recipe? <laughs> uh,
0: we had another email that was a passionate defense of the TV show Nightmare. Oh, all
2: right. <laughs> I didn't diss Nightmare. All right. And listen, I'm all for it. Like, let's have a show where we tell kids to fuck off. I'm with it. Hell yeah. I
0: <laughs> I, I don't know if it uh, if if we ever dissed Nightmare, uh, but. Uh, one of my friends who is from the uk actually did watch it as a kid and said hey that show was great so there you go <laughs> i will admit to being baffled by how much lore
3: there was for a reality show and perhaps i just i simply i don't quite understand it because i've never seen the show myself so maybe i got to give it a try but I yeah where
0: you'd you would see it it's it's out there somewhere you can see all the but i know where
2: it. you'd listen to episodes like this
0: there we go perfect back to our our outro <laughs> Uh, in addition to finding our, our podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold, uh, you can also follow our various social medias. We have our Twitter at alwaysanotherpod, Instagram at alwaysanotherpod, and Mastodon at alwaysanotherpod at kind.social. Uh, the usual nonsense will be there, as well as photos of one very good dog.
2: Cow!
0: Before we close this episode, though, Sam, you have a a story
2: about, as you've repeatedly pronounced it, Hold On Caulfield. That's correct. Uh, episode zeros always remind me of this, uh, and it's a story from school, but not middle school, high school. The twists begin now. Um, so, uh, I was a junior in high school, uh, I was an intermediate level English, uh, And over the course of the year, my teacher went from enthusiastic to hard driving to utterly defeated, all at the hands of a single student, who I'm going to call Horace, because that way I can be like, did I talk about this? And you can say, yes, you talked about him. You called him Horace. I don't think there's going to be a character named Horace in the book. I think your Uh, odds are good there. So uh, English class, right? You read books. Horace did not. Ever. But he dominated class discussion, uh, and let me tell you why. Horace was a smart fucking kid. He was like, listen, here's how smart he is. Um, he took the ACT and he intentionally got every question wrong, <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> Actually
0: Tried legitimately to difficult.
2: And, <laughs> and did it a- did a great job apparently. Um, so anyway, he he was really smart. He just didn't give a shit about anything or anyone. Um, which is great go you know go for it Horace I'm with you uh anyway uh, according to the grading rubric that the teacher gave us all at the beginning of the year and never revised um, you can get a, you could get a C in class discussion just by talking just by talking um seventy five percent of the participation grade was just did you speak the rest was the quality of your contribution but Yeah, uh, you can get a C just for talking. So, uh, anyway, uh, we start reading Catcher in the Rye. Uh, Wow. Uh, Instead of talking about the fucked up shit that happens in that book, like the part where people rent a whole hotel room just to spit in each other's mouths, which happens if you haven't read it, um, he talked about the title. He read the title and the back cover before the bell rang to start class. And that was it. And this was the final discussion of the entire book. Uh, this is it. <laughs> Everything. Uh, hang on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he rambled about the role of catchers in baseball and rye as a food ingredient, but also a type of alcohol. Hmm. Uh, then he started talking about the main character. Who I think is named on the back of the book, at least in our edition, he was. Uh, his name is Holden Caulfield, if you don't remember. It's spelled weird. It's a weird name. Um, he talked for 10 minutes. I timed it 20% of class time uh, about the character's name. I remember him breaking it down like uh, he very clearly enunciated hold on, call field, while gesturing like a phone when he said call. <laughs> And he said, "Uh, hold on. It's like holding on to reality, right It's and he spoke with a hundred percent confidence by the way, uh and he said, Call cannot just be a phone, but it can also mean uh the thing that a woman like gives birth to or something, and he was like he's birthing the new ideas into the world." And then he just talked about Sorry, those phrases. Sorry, call
1: can be a thing a woman births?
2: It's some kind of... It was something like that. Like, it has something to do with childbirth. I don't know. But he <laughs> talked about it. He sure did. Fair enough. Um, and yet, somehow, it was only the second worst final book discussion I've ever had. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, let me tell you about the first 30 seconds here. 30 seconds for the first. Uh, it was about the crying of Lot 49. None of the students read the book. When the professor asked, what is Lot 49? And no one replied, he dismissed the class. Class is dismissed. And then he picked up his shit and he walked out of the room. <laughs> We've not had a Lot 49 moment in this podcast, which is good. But But we have had entire
0: digressions on minute details that may or may not become relevant simply from the back of the book yes hold on
1: call oh. for.